Chapter 4 Murg Han stared at the huge black-furred creature, realizing that the jig was definitely up. Teroenza's meaning was unmistakable. Step out of line, and Murg will rip you in two. Han eyed the Tagorian, realizing that the alien could easily do just that. He managed to pull himself together and smiled up at the Tagorian. Pleased to meet you, Murg, he said. It'll be nice to have real company on those long flights. Yes, the bodyguard said, stepping closer. Han realized with dismay that the top of his head barely reached the Targorian's breastbone. The alien appeared so feline that Han was surprised to realize he didn't have a tail. Merg enjoys space travel, the bodyguard said in his strongly accented lisping basic. His facial fur was black, but his whiskers and chest fur were white. His eyes were a startling light blue, with brilliant green slitted pupils. Merg goes many spaceports. The more the better. Han had a little trouble understanding the Tagorian's basic, but he could make it out. The young Corellian wondered just how smart this being was. Have to get to know him. Han decided. Just because he can't speak good basic doesn't mean he's dumb. If he is, Han smiled. We thought we'd give you a day to settle in, Pilot Drago, Teroenza said. Move into the quarters we've assigned you in the administration building. Merg will show you where it is. Then tomorrow we'd like you to begin ferrying goods and personnel back and forth between the colonies. By the time our next shipment of spice is delivered to our space station, you will be ready to ferry that down for us. After today I'm going to order Jalus Nebul, our other pilot, to take a rest. He has been working too hard. Han nodded. I've got to meet up with this Celestin and compare notes. That will be fine. Can I look around a bit? I'd like to check out the lay of the land. Teroenza inclined his massive head. Certainly. As long as Merg accompanies you, and you follow all safety regulations while touring the factories. Of course. Han agreed. Teroenza bowed slightly. If you will excuse me, we are expecting a shipment of pilgrims to come down from our orbiting space station this morning. I have much to do as I prepare to welcome them. Han nodded. Thinking about what lay ahead for those pilgrims, he knew that mining spice was considered dangerous, an extremely unpleasant duty. Matter of fact... Being sent to the spice mines of Kessel was a common punishment for felons, but he knew very little about what happened to the spice once it was mined. Well, he intended to find out. Maybe there was some way he could turn this situation even more to his advantage. You never knew, and it never paid to leave stones unturned. In Han Solo's book, knowledge frequently led to power, or at least to a faster escape. Merg led Han up a paved path through the jungle until they reached a large, very modern building. Administration Center, the Tagorian said, indicating the building. 
The bodyguard led Han around to a side entrance, and then down a corridor until he reached a door. You, Murg, sleep here, he said, opening the door. Inside was a small suite consisting of a bedroom, refresher unit, and a small sitting room. Han was pleased to see that Teroenza had been mindful of the terms of the contract. In one corner of the bedroom was a fully equipped sim unit. Murg walked to the door of the bedroom and waved a clawed hand at it. Yours. Pilot sleep here. But where will you sleep? Han asked. As expected, Murg indicated the sitting room. Murg, here. Great. Han said, these priests don't trust me any more than I trust them. With Merc sleeping between me and the door to the outside, I'd be taking a big chance trying to sneak out at night. Just great. That doesn't look very comfortable to me, Han said, doing his best imitation of wide-eyed innocence. Inwardly, he was wondering whether Merg was a sound sleeper. Maybe you should get a room of your own so you could sleep comfortably. Murg, most comfortable when he is keeping word of honor, the Tagorian said. Han stared at the cat-like being. Had he glimpsed a flash of humor in those blue-green eyes with their slitted pupils? Murg gave word of honor to watch Pilot always. So Murg most comfortable here. Han nodded. Right. He stared for a moment at the blaster in the Tagorian's holster. I had a blaster when I came here, but I don't know where it is now, he commented. I guess I'll need to ask about getting it back. Pilot not need blaster. Murg flexed his fingers, and the retractable claws popped out. High priest say pilot not need blaster. But what if I get attacked by some kind of predator? Han waved at the omnipresent jungle outside the building. There were probably dozens of predators who might enjoy hunting an off-worlder, either for food or fun. The giant alien shook his whiskered head. Never happen. Pilot have Merc, who hath blaster. Uh, that's true. Han said. Mentally, he made a note to ask Teroenza for some kind of weapon. He felt naked without one, even after only having had one for a couple of days. So, Murg, shall we go exploring? Han asked. I don't have any baggage to unpack, as you can see. Explore where? The Tagorian asked. I'd like to tour the factories, Han said and this administration center. Fine, the Tagorian said. Come, pilot. Right behind you, Han said, suiting his action to his words. They walked the corridors of the administration center, glanced in at the mess hall, toured the guard's wing, and peeked at the priest's quarters. When Han caught a glimpse of the armory, he realized that the Yelishan priests must be afraid of a pilgrim uprising, because the percentage of guards to workers was high. The armory boasted a lot of heavy-duty riot-control armament, force pikes, and stun gas. The guards they met came from many different worlds. Besides humans, Han saw Rodians, Celestans, Twi'leks, and Porcine Gamorians. So let me get this straight, 
he said to Merg, as they skirted an area in the administration center that signs in many languages identified as restricted access. The guards all sleep here most of the time. But why don't they sleep near the pilgrim's dormitory if the priests want to make sure the workers stay under control? Sleep time not a problem, the Tagorian said in his halting basic. After pilgrims are exalted, can barely walk back, go sleep right away. Only time pilgrims get mad, angry at bosses, is before exaltation. Makes sense. Han thought dourly. Give the addicts their fix, and then they just sleep it off until the next day. Then the guard patrol... The pilot stopped in mid-word when he glimpsed something large and grayish gliding far down the corridor in the off-limits area. Han squinted into the dimness. Hey, what was that? He muttered. That looked just like a... Han broke off as the object turned the corner. He started after it at a good clip. Merg made a futile grab for his charge, but Han was quicker than the big alien and dodged. He jogged down the forbidden hallway, listening hard for the sound of footsteps, but none came. When he reached the junction of the corridors, Han turned to stare up the one where he'd glimpsed that flicker of gliding motion. His eyes widened. Hey, it is a hut. What's a hut doing here? There was no mistaking the identity of that huge, slug-like form reclining on its repulsor-lift sled. As he hesitated, Merg pounced on him as though he were a vrelt and picked up the Corellian bodily. Han repressed a yelp of dismay as the Tagorian tucked him under one muscled arm and ran back down the corridor until they were back in the unrestricted access section of the center. Merg set Han back on his feet and flexed a hand under the Corellian's nose. My people teach everyone entitled to one mistake, the bodyguard said. Pilot just have his. No more mistakes, or Merg have to teach pilot like little cub. Merg has given word of honor, remember? Understood? Han eyed the claws that gleamed under his nose, sharp and shiny as razors. Uh, yeah, he managed to say. I understand, Merg. Humans just get curious, you know? Curiosity fatal sometimes, Merg growled. I can see your point, Han said dryly. Or rather, your points. Merg stared at the sharp, shining tips of his claws. Then his muzzle lifted back from his fangs, and he made a low, mewling sound. For a moment, Han froze. Then he looked at the Tagorian and realized this was the alien's form of laughter. Evidently, Merg had caught the joke. Han managed a weak chuckle. So, how about we get some food, then check out those factories, eh, pal? He asked. Merg always hungry, the Tagorian agreed, leading the way toward the mess hall. What means this word, pal? Oh, a pal is a friend, a buddy, you know. Someone you spend time with that you like, Han explained. Yes, the Tagorian said, nodding. Pilot means pack mate. Right. Good. 
the bodyguard said. Merg misses his packmates. Han recalled Teroenza saying that his people came from Nalhata, the hot homeworld, but Han hadn't realized that that meant there were huts living on Yalisha. When questioned, Merg confirmed that he had seen several of the slugmasters who ride on air, as he called them. There's only one reason huts are here, Han thought. They're the real masters of Yalisha. After all, they dominate the contraband spice trade. Lunch was good, if unimaginative, and to Han's taste, lacking in seasoning. Still, the cook was no slouch. His or her bread was very good, Han thought as he chewed on a bite of Alderanian flatbread. He realized suddenly, with a pang, that it had been nearly a day since he'd thought of Yulana. The thought made him feel vaguely disloyal, but then he took himself in hand. Tulana wouldn't want him to mope and grieve over her. She'd always enjoyed life, and she wouldn't expect Han not to, just because she was gone. He came back out of his reverie to find Murg watching him curiously. Pilot is thinking of someone far away, the Tagorian observed, waving the bone he had just finished gnawing. Tiny fragments of raw meat still clung to it, but Murg had cleaned it impressively. Han thought. He had to get every little bit. It required a lot of raw meat to keep that massive body going. Yeah, Han agreed with a sigh. Someone about as far away as anyone can be. Pilot have sweetheart. Han shook his head. Well, there have been a few girls here and there, he admitted. But nobody special. No, I was thinking of the person who more or less raised me. Berg took a huge gulp of some foamy stuff from a tankard. Humans raise young much differently than my people do, he said. Really? Tell me about your world. Berg obediently launched into a description of Tagoria, a world where males and females, though equal, did not mix their societies. Males lived a nomadic hunting existence, flying over the plains on their huge domesticated flying reptiles called Moscoths. They hunted in packs. The females, on the other hand, had domesticated animals for meat, so they did not need to hunt. They lived in cities and villages, and it was the female Tagorians who had developed all of the planet's technology. Well, if your people don't live together... How do you... Han searched for a polite term. Uh, get together? You know, to, uh, reproduce? We travel to city to stay with our mates once each year, Merg said. Between times, we think often of each other. The Gorian's very emotional people, capable of great love, he added earnestly. Especially males. Great love is why Merg is here. Males of my species rarely leave our world. Does Pilot know that? I do now, Hans said. So, Merg, when you say great love made you come to Yelisha, what do you mean? Do you have a mate? The Tagorian nodded. 
promise mate. Someday be mated for life, if Merg can but find her. The huge alien sighed, looking so woeful that Han felt sorry for him. What's her name? Rav. Beautiful, beautiful Rav. As Togorian females do, she decided to take a look at the big galaxy. Merg begged her not to go, but females very stubborn. The alien looked at Han, who nodded. Yeah. I've run into that myself. Marav's gone long time, years. When she not come home to be mated, Merg's so sad that he cannot stay on Tagoria. Must discover what happened to her. So, did you? Han took a sip of his Polanus ale. Merg traced her from world to world to world. And? Han prompted when the Tagorian paused. And Merg lost her. Someone on Ord Mantel said he saw her board ship at Spaceport. Merg checked schedules, find out ship had many pilgrims on board. Several ports of call for ship. Merg take chance come here. Because so many pilgrims come here. The big felonoid sighed heavily and nibbled on a meat-dripping bone. Gamble no good. Merg ask. Priests say no Targaryens here. Merg not know where else to go. Merg need credits to continue search. The alien swallowed a last bite and his whiskers actually drooped. So you decided to take a job as a guard here while you got enough money to go on searching? Han said, guessing at the logical end of the story. Yes. Han shook his head. That's sad, pal. I hope you find her. I really do. It's tough to lose people that you love. The bodyguard nodded. After lunch... They headed down to the factories and walked around the huge buildings. Han sniffed the air, smelling the odor of the different spices mingling. His nose tingled slightly, and he wondered if just smelling the spice could be intoxicating. He waved at the glitter-stim building. Let's go inside. I've heard about how they process this spice, and I'd like to see it for myself. When they walked into the cavernous building, a guard stopped them and conferred with Merg, who explained who Han was. The Rhodian guard on duty gave them badges and infrared goggles, then waved them on in. Goggles? Han said in Rhodian. He understood the language perfectly, but his pronunciation was a bit laborious. We have to wear them? The guard's purple eyes sparkled at hearing a human speak his language. Yes, Drago, he said. Below the ground floor, there are no visible lights permitted. You take the turbo lift down. Each level down represents a one-grade increase in the quality of the spice. The longest and best fibers are processed far below ground to eliminate any possibility of their being ruined by light. Okay, Hans said, beckoning to Merg. The two walked between aisles of supplies to reach the platform turbo lift in the center of the facility. 
Let's go all the way down and see the really good stuff, he said to the Tagorian. Privately, Han was wondering whether he might be able to light-finger some of those tiny black vials. Selling a little glitter stim on the side in a port city would increase his credit account by leaps and bounds. Han pushed the button for the bottom floor, and the platform, swaying slightly, started down. Cool air wafted up from the depths as the turbo lift went down in pitch darkness. The draft felt wonderful after the humid heat of the Yelishan jungle. Within one floor, all light was gone. Han fumbled for his goggles, pulled them up over his eyes. Immediately he could see, though everything was in shades of black and white, the illumination came from small light inserts in the walls. The turbo lift plunged downward, and Han could see the workers as they crouched over their workstations. Piles of raw, fibrous threads, studded with minuscule crystals, lay piled before them. Finally, six floors down, the turbo lift ground to a halt. Han and Murg got off. Have you ever been here before? He asked the bodyguard softly. Murg's neck fur was standing on end, and his white whiskers bristled beneath his goggled eyes. No, the Togorian whispered back. My people are plains dwellers, not like caves, not like dark. Murg will be happy when Pilot wishes to leave this place. Only Murg's word of honor keeps him here in wretched darkness. Steady, Han said. We won't be here that long. I just want to get a look around. He led the way into the factory. The cavernous area was filled with soft swishings, but was otherwise silent. Long tables lined the walls and were ranged in the aisleways. Each table was a workstation, and a worker sat or crouched according to his, her, or its individual anatomy. Before the table, there were many humans, Han realized sitting on tall stools, hunched over their work. Few looked up as Han and Murg went up to the level supervisor, a furred Deveronian female, and identified themselves. The supervisor waved a reddish, sharp-nailed hand at the floor. My workers are the most skilled, she said proudly. It takes skill to measure and trim the number of fibrous strands, so each dose will contain the correct amount of spice. It is essential, but very difficult, to line up the fibers so precisely that they will all activate at the same moment when exposed to visible light. Is it a mineral? Han asked. I know it's mined. It is naturally occurring, but we don't know how it's formed, pilot. We believe it may have a biological origin, but we're not sure. It's found deep in the tunnels on Kessel, and it must be mined in total darkness, just as you see here. And the strands have got to be put into these casings just right. Correct. Improper alignment can cause the tiny crystals to fracture against each other. If that happens, they grind each other into a far less potent and valuable powder. It can take a skilled worker an hour to properly align just one or two cylinders of glitter stim. I see, Hans said, fascinated. Do you mind if we just wander around? I promise we won't touch anything. You may. However, 
Please avoid distracting any of the workers while they are aligning the spice. One inadvertent twist, as I said, could ruin an entire thread. I understand, Han said. The raw glitter stem threads were all black, but Han knew from hearing about it that they would shine blue when they ignited invisible light. Han stopped behind one of the human workers and watched in fascination as the worker separated out threads of ebony-colored spice, aligning them with the utmost care. The threads curled around the worker's fingers, some of them as fine-spun as silk, but the tiny crystals made them incredibly sharp. The worker positioned one group of incredibly tangled threads in the jaws of a tiny vice, then proceeded to painstakingly separate out the threads until the crystalline structures were aligned. The worker's fingers moved almost too fast to watch, and Han realized that he was watching a highly skilled craftsman. No, woman. He was amazed that these pilgrims could actually accomplish something requiring this much dexterity. After seeing them last night following the exultation, he'd more or less assumed that they were dull-witted cretins. They'd certainly looked like it. The glitter stim worker took out a minuscule set of pliers to untangle a particularly bad snarl. She wormed the narrow-nosed pliers into the tangle, peering intently to find the place where the sharp little crystals were caught together. The fibrous glitter stim curled around her hands like tiny living tentacles, the sharp little crystal glimmering. The worker abruptly brought her hand back tugging, and suddenly the snarl straightened out until all the fibers aligned perfectly. Except one. Han watched in distress as one sharp-studded strand cut between the woman's forefinger and thumb. A thin line of blood welled from the deep gash. Han sucked in a breath a few centimeters deeper, and the tendon in her thumb would have been severed. She hissed with pain then muttered something in basic, and, freeing her hand, held it to stop the bleeding. Han froze as he heard her accent. This pilgrim was Corellian. He hadn't even looked at her before, hidden as she was by the shapeless tan robe, her cap pulled down tightly over her goggled head, but now he realized she was young, not old. She grimaced slightly as she examined the cut. Turning her hand over, she twisted in her seat and held her hand over the floor so the blood wouldn't drip onto her workstation. Han knew he wasn't supposed to speak to the worker, but she wasn't working at the moment, and he was concerned. She was bleeding profusely. You're hurt, he said. Let me call the supervisor so she can fix you up. The girl, she was his age, possibly younger, started slightly, then looked up at him. Her face was a whitish-green blur beneath her goggles and cap, and seemed deathly pale in the infrared light. No wonder, Han thought, cooped up down here all day long, no exposure to sunlight. No, please don't, she said, speaking basic with that soft accent that placed her as being from Corellia's southern continent. If she sends me to the infirmary, I'll miss the exaltation. She shivered at the thought, though it might also have been from the cold. Han himself was beginning to feel chilly, and he hadn't been down here for hours. How did these pilgrims stand it? 
working down here in the cold darkness all day. But that cut looks nasty, Han protested. She shrugged. The bleeding is stopping. Han could see that was true. But what about... She shook her head, halting him in mid-sentence. I appreciate your concern, but it's nothing. Happens all the time. With a wry smile, she held out her hands. Han sucked in a breath. Her fingers, wrists, and forearms were crisscrossed with tiny slashes. Some were old and white and healed, but many were dark wheels, still fresh and painful. Han saw small phosphorescent spots between her fingers and realized they must be the fungus he'd discovered on himself that morning. As he watched, a phosphorescent tendril of the stuff suddenly spread, growing toward the cut between her finger and thumb. She uttered a soft exclamation and pulled it free. The fungus loves fresh blood, she said, evidently noticing his distaste. It can infect a cut and make you sick very easily. Disgusting stuff, Han said. Are you sure you don't need to get that treated? She shook her head. As you can see, it happens all the time. Excuse me, but you're Corellian, aren't you? So are you, Han said. I'm Vic Drago, the new pilot. And you are? Her mouth tightened slightly. I'm not really supposed to be talking. I'd better get back to work. Merg, who had been watching in silence, suddenly spoke up. Worker is correct. Pilot must let worker return to work now. Okay, pal, I understand, Hans said to the Tagorian. But then he added to the Corellian woman, But maybe we could talk some other time. Over supper, maybe? She shook her head silently and turned back to her work. Merg motioned for Han to move on. The Corellian moved one step away, but continued talking. Okay, but you never know. We're bound to run into each other. This place ain't all that big. So, what's your name? She shook her head again, not speaking. Merg growled low in his throat, but Han just stood there stubbornly. The woman seemed disturbed by Merg's implied threat. As she fastened a bandage over her cut, she said, We give up our names when we leave all worldly things for the spiritual sanctuary of Yelisha. Han was feeling increasingly frustrated. Here was someone who knew this place intimately, and she was the first person from his home world he'd discovered here. Please, he said as Merg pushed him slightly. There must be some kind of way they refer to you he said, smiling his most reassuring, charming smile. Merg growled again, more loudly. He showed his fangs. The woman's eyes opened wide at the display of teeth. I am Pilgrim 921, she said hastily. Han got the impression that she had spoken up to save him from Merg's ire. Merg grabbed Han's arm and began walking away, effortlessly dragging the Corellian. Thank you, Pilgrim 921. Han called back to her, waving jauntily, as though being half carried away by the Tagorian was a normal occurrence. Good luck with those fibers. I'll be seeing you. She didn't respond. 
When Merg finally let him go at the end of the aisle, Han followed the Tagorian obediently, half expecting a lecture from the giant being. But Merg seemed satisfied that Han would now obey him and had relapsed into his former wary silence. Han glanced back once and saw that the Corellian woman was again intent on her work, as though she'd already forgotten him. Pilgrim 921, he thought. I wonder if I'd even be able to recognize her. Between the goggles, the cap, and his impaired vision, he had no real idea of what she looked like, except for the fact that she was young. Han walked all the way around the facility, watching several other workers as they aligned threads and crystals, so they were entirely symmetrical. He didn't attempt to speak to any of them. Finally, he came back to the Deberonian supervisor. So, when they've finished their work, who encases the threads and crystals in the vials? He asked. That is done on the fifth floor, the supervisor told him. Maybe I'll just head up there, Hans said. This is fascinating, you know. Certainly, she said. Okay. So they finish up the processing of the really high-grade stuff up here, Han thought as he and Merg ascended into the darkness. The Tagorian let out a low yowl of protest when Han only took them up one floor. Take it easy, Merg, Han said. I just want to take a quick look around here. He wandered the aisles, trying unobtrusively to spot the place where the high-grade glitter stim was enclosed in the tiny black vials that all glitter stim users would recognize. When he reached that area, however, his heart sank. Four armed guards stood by the conveyor belt, watching the little vials as the workers brought their full baskets over and dumped them. Han felt an air current waft past him, realizing that there was a small heating unit down there, warming the chill, evidently for the comfort of the guards. Four guards? Han peered harder into the dimness. No. Hold on a second. He saw a blur of movement, but couldn't discern anything for a long second. Then, as he focused his eyes, he slowly made out oily, pebbled, blackness barely visible against the black stone wall. But there were eyes in the midst of that blackness. Beady, reddish-orange eyes. Four of them. Han squinted, holding still, straining his vision. Then he saw two blasters, each strapped to a warty black thigh. Ara! He realized. Skin changers. The Ara were an alien species from a planet on the other side of the galaxy. Denizens of R could gradually change color to match the color of the background behind them. This ability made them very difficult to see, especially in darkness. Han had heard of the Ara before, but he'd never run into any until now. They were reptilian creatures, which explained why this section of the below-ground factory was heated. Many reptiles became sluggish and dull-witted when it was cold. Han peered into the dimness and slowly, gradually, made out the outlines of the two Ara guards. They had pebbly, textured skin, clawed hands and feet, and a small frill of skin running down their backs. Their heads were large, with overhanging brow ridges, beneath which their eyes seemed doubly small. 
Their faces had short muzzles, and when one of the creatures opened its mouth, Han glimpsed a narrow, sticky red tongue and sharp white teeth. An upstanding frill of skin ran from between their eyes, back over the tops of their heads, to connect with the frill running down their backs. Despite their clumsy appearance, they seemed fast on their feet. Han decided that he didn't want to tangle with them. Although shorter than he was, they were broad in the shoulders and certainly outweighed him by a considerable margin. Han sighed. Scratch plan A. The Ara aside, the other guards, two Rodians, a Deveronian male, and a Twi'lek, looked mean and obviously meant business. They weren't Gamorians, so there wasn't much chance of being able to bewilder, confuse, distract, or otherwise fast-talk any of them into handing over a fortune in spice. Han grimaced and started back for Merg and the turbolift. And there is no plan B, he thought, glumly. Guess I'll just have to earn all my credits the honest way. It never even occurred to him that ferrying spice around the galaxy was, in itself, highly illegal. Pilgrim, 921, nibbled on a stale grain cake and tried to forget the young Corellian she had seen earlier. She was a pilgrim, after all, part of the all, one with the one, and worldly concerns such as good-looking young men were behind her forever. She was here to work so that she might be exalted and offer her prayers for the blessing of the one as part of the all. And conversations with young men named Vic had no part in that. Still, she wondered what he looked like beneath those goggles. What color was his hair, his eyes? That smile of his had made warmth blossom inside her, despite the cold. Shaking her head, Pilgrim 921, I miss my name trying to exorcise the memory of Vic Drago's lopsided, heart-stopping smile. She needed to pray, to offer proper devotion. She must do penance for separating herself from the one, lest she be cast out from the all. Still, those sacrilegious thoughts kept intruding. Thoughts. Memories, too. He was Corellian, and so was she. Pilgrim 921 thought of her homeworld, and for just an instant allowed herself to remember it, to remember her family. Were her parents still alive? Her brother? How long had she been here? 921 tried to remember, but the days here were all the same. Work, a few morsels of unappetizing food, exaltation and prayers, then exhausted sleep. One day flowed into each other, and Yelisha had almost no seasons. For a moment, she wondered just how long she'd been here. Months? Years? How old was she? Did she have wrinkles? Gray hair? Nine-to-one's scarred hands flew to her forehead, her cheeks. Bones beneath flesh, prominent bones, much more prominent than they had ever been before, but no wrinkles. She was not old. She might have been here months, but not years. How old had she been when she'd heard of Yelisha and sold all her jewelry to buy passage on a pilgrim ship? Seventeen. She'd just finished the last of her undergraduate schooling and had been looking forward to going off-world to attend the university on Coruscant. She'd been going to study archaeology with an emphasis on ancient art. Yes, that was it. 
She'd even spent a couple of summers working on a dig, learning to preserve ancient treasures. She'd wanted to become a museum curator. As a child, history had always been her favorite subject. She loved learning about the Jedi Knights and was fascinated by their adventures. She'd grown up in the aftermath of the Clone Wars and had been interested in that, too, and the birth of the Republic so very, very long ago. Nine-to-one sighed as she swallowed a bite of dusty grain cake. Sometimes it bothered her when she realized that her memories were fading, that her intelligence seemed to be fading, along with her ability to perceive the world outside. She knew that as a pilgrim, she was supposed to eschew all worldly things, to expunge from her mind and body the appreciation of fleshly pleasures. In the old days, pleasure and having fun had been the focus of her life. In those days, her life had had little purpose compared to now. In the old days, she'd drifted from place to place, subject to subject, party to party. And it had all been so meaningless. Life now had meaning. Now she was exalted. Every night, the one conferred blessing upon her, through the priests, Exaltation was the way the all communicated with the pilgrims. It was a deeply spiritual experience, and it felt so good. Nine-to-one thought that she'd successfully managed to expunge all memory of Vic Drago and his smile from her mind, so she went back to work on her glitter-stim pile, only to find herself wondering, minutes later, whether he'd really look for her, try to talk to her again. Nine-to-one shivered in the ever-present dank chill and tried very hard to forget Vic Drago and all he stood for. That night, Han skipped devotionals in favor of spending time with several of the Sims. This was his first opportunity to earn an honest living, and he didn't want to mess up. Han knew that citizens complained about how hard they had to work, and he figured that was essential for success. It was true that begging, pickpocketing, burglary, and scamming citizens frequently required considerable time and effort, but Han knew that somehow it just wasn't comparable. Heading for the sim station in his bedroom, Han began skimming through the system, accessing what was available to him. Teroenza had been as good as his promise, and the simulations were there. He scanned what was available chose the sins he wanted to work on, and ordered the system to prepare several sequences. He was careful to specify atmospheric turbulence to be included in each training exercise. He looked up at Murr, who was standing there watching him. I've got to work for a while, he said. Why don't you take some time for yourself? Murg shook his head slowly. Murg, not leave Pilot alone against Thornus. Okay, Han shrugged. Your choice. Merg watched nervously as Han put on the visahood, cutting himself off from contact with his real surroundings and plunging himself into a training flight that felt exactly like the real thing. The Tagorian was uncomfortable with technology. Han let himself sink into the sim, and within minutes the sim had accomplished one of its primary purposes. Han quite forgot that it was a sim. He was convinced that he was really piloting, really negotiating asteroid fields at high speeds, really piloting through the Elysian atmosphere, really landing the craft under all sorts of adverse conditions.'
the Corellian emerged from the sim two hours later, having successfully landed, flown, taken off, and performed the full range of maneuvers possible with the shuttle he'd be flying to Colony 2 and Colony 3 on the morrow. He'd also reviewed the controls on the transport vessels he'd be flying. The Yelishan Dream was being converted to manual piloting, as well as those on Teruenza's private yacht. By this time, the short Yelishan day was far spent. Merg was dozing on the chair, but awoke instantly when Han stretched. Han eyed the Tagorian, regretting that the alien was so alert. It was going to be very difficult to do the nighttime prowling that he had in mind. Merg walked along behind a pilot, pleased that his charge had suggested heading over to the mess hall for a late supper. The Tagorian was always hungry. His people were used to hunting and killing, then sharing their kill, so fresh meat was a constant part of their diets. Here, he had to make do with raw meat that had been frozen. Before Pilot had come into his life, he'd been free at times to enter the jungle and hunt, so he could keep his claws and his skills sharpened. He missed his Mosgoth, missed flying through the air on her back feeling her powerful wing muscles propelling them through the skies of Tagoria. Berg sighed. The skies on Tagoria were a vivid blue-green, much different from the washed-out blue-gray color of Yelisha's skies. He missed them. Would he ever see them again? Would he ever fly his Moskoth toward a crimson sunset in those vivid skies? The priests had made him sign a six-month contract for his services as a guard. He'd given his word of honor to fulfill that contract. It would be many ten days before he could return to his search for Morov. Merg pictured her in his mind, her cream-colored fur, her orange stripes, her vivid yellow eyes. Lovely Morov. She'd been part of his life for so long now that not knowing her whereabouts was like an aching wound inside him. Could she have gone back to Tagoria? Was she back on their world, waiting for him? Merg wished he could send a message to his home world, ask whether Morov had returned. But messages sent over interstellar distances were very expensive, and sending one would add nearly two months to his time here on Yelisha. Still, Merg considered, then thought that perhaps on one of their trips to fly spice to Nalhata, Pilot would not mind if Merg sent a message. The Tagorian didn't really trust the Yelishan priests enough to send a message from this world. Pilot seemed like a decent fellow, for a human. Merg mused. Sly, quick, always looking for a way to get around things, but humans were frequently like that. At least Pilot had accepted Merg's dominance as Pyak leader. That was smart of him. He'd live much longer that way. Merg really hoped that Pilot would continue to be smart. He liked him and didn't want to have to hurt him. But if Pilot tried to break the rules, Merg would not hesitate to hurt, even kill, the Corellian. Teruenza had given Merg specific orders, and the Togorian would carry them out to the best of his ability. He'd given his word of honor, and that was the most important thing in the universe to his people. The Tagorian absently groomed his whiskers and facial fur, reflecting that as long as Pilot didn't step out of line, everything was going to be just fine.